Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Jesus, your best praise. Come on. Come on, Summer Church. Um, man, it's so good to be back here. I was here with you guys, like, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago at team night. I don't know how many of you were there, and I got to meet many of you. But, babe, before you guys walk off really quick, I want to say something. It's pretty much cheating to be as good as this worship team is, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. How many of you love the worship team? It's like, who's Carrie Job? Who's Kim Walker? Who's any of these people when you have her? And I mean, the whole team, it's like, it's unbelievable. Um, I get to travel all over North America and check out churches. And it's kind of one of the things I get to do. And I'm going to tell you, there's some churches, the worship is uh, not that awesome. But uh, here at Soma Church, uh, it is unbelievable how blessed you are. Uh, the people that stand on this platform serving you week in, week out, and uh, not just those that are seen, but those that are unseen. Maybe they're back in the back or in different spaces and places. You guys are very blessed as a church with the team that you have here. Yeah, I think it's a great spot to clap. So anyway, love you guys. Thank you so much uh, for, for, for doing what you do. You do it so well. I wish I could sing. I'm one of those pastors that wish that I could preach and sing at the same time. I would just show off, to be honest. I would just be like singing in the middle of my sermon. That's why God didn't bless me with that. But anyway, tough crowd. Okay. Um, anyway, it's good to be back here. My name is Jason Laird, and I bring greetings on behalf of my wife, Jennifer, and our, our family, our kids. Uh, they couldn't be here. They're back home. We had a little, uh, little tournament uh, yesterday, and so my son was playing a little baseball. Um, but I, I got here last night at like probably 1 a.m., and so, and I had to, you know, I had to wake up this morning at 6 and was with the first group. They were a little quiet. I hear that you guys are way more saved than the last group, um, and so we're going to have a good time today. But uh, I do want to take a moment and honor your senior pastors. I know that they're not here right now, uh, but I love your pastors. Uh, I think that Michael and Brooke are some of the finest pastors on the planet. I know you would agree. That's why you're here. You could be at any other church, but you decide to be here. Why? Because, uh, because God called you here, but also God called you uh, to a group of pastors that, and you, you, I know you know this, but they are really amazing. They have integrity. And I think one of the things I love about your pastors so much is this. I love their humility. You know, this church is a young church, but it's, it's amazing what God has already done in a, a handful of years. I told somebody in the last service, I said, I, this is like, the way I would describe Soma Church is this is a bearded baby, meaning um, it's a baby church, but it's so mature. And it's like, it's like, it's a bearded baby, which is a weird phrase to say, but it's a bearded baby. And uh, anyway, but I tell, I tell people all the time about your church. I talk about you behind your back. I talk about your pastors behind their back in a good way, because I love the humility because you know, I, I do some consulting work and some things like that. And, you know, I'll see some maybe leaders of organizations, businesses and whatever. And in a short period of time, they blow up and the, the growth and the profit margins are crazy and all this stuff. And there's, you know, it feels like almost overnight success. And a lot of times when people are at the helm leading that, they can have this sense of arrogance about them. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. Uh, that can even happen in churches, by the way. Unfortunately, that there are some pastors that, you know, their church blows up and it's a lot of people showing up and they can be a little bit kind of like, I built this when we all know that Jesus builds his church, right? We build the kingdom, but Jesus builds his church. Um, but what I'll say about your pastors is this, is that there has been, 
Uh, such a move of God. I mean, how this church has grown in such a short period of time is remarkable. And God has done it. It's been by the grace of God. But it's also been through the leadership and the sacrifice and, and all those things of your pastors. But I love the fact that, that your pastors still walk with, a, with a humility and with a graciousness about them. And I love it so much. It's very inspiring to me. And I know you already know that. And I know they're not here. I know they're on a little sabbatical, getting refreshed, and they're going to come back with fresh vision. Uh, but I just want to take a moment because this is a culture thing. We're, we're building a culture of honor here. Could we, even though they're not here, could we clap our hands and show our love and appreciation for your pastors? Yeah. I'm very thankful for them. Um, one of the reasons is this, is that um, I've been honored to get to come alongside you guys and do some ministry stuff. Uh, but one of the things you need to know this, that you're a part of, the, and I want to honor you in this moment, is that when you give faithfully, the tithes, offerings, over and above, all that stuff, it's being stewarded well here by the leadership and by the board of directors. And you guys are doing phenomenal ministry locally. But I want to tell you that some of your generosity goes towards church planting in North America. And I'm, I'm, I'm a part of a church planting organization called ARC, Association of Related Churches. And I do some contract work for them. We train church planters. We just trained like 85 church planters this past year that will plant this year. But I want you to know this, that, that your generosity, your giving goes into church planting and planting churches like Soma Church around North America. And to date, we have, we have planted, listen to this, 1,040 churches, 1,040 churches. Come on, that's a good spot to clap your hands. And uh, your generosity goes towards that. And so I just want to, on behalf of our, our leadership team and the lead team and those at, at ARC, I want to say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving and sowing into church planners. My brother's a church planner, actually, and he's going to be planning a church this fall. And so I love church planners. I love church planning. I planted a church years ago in San Francisco, and uh, now I'm a part of training church planners. So how many know it's easier to, to tell somebody what to do than to actually do it yourself? And so now I'm just training church planners, and they have to go do the hard work. But uh, anyway, it is, it is so good to be here. Can I show you a picture of my family before we jump into the Word? I want to show you this. It gives me a little street cred uh, right here. This is my wife, Jennifer. Next, listen to this. Next weekend, on the 21st, uh, we will have been married now for 17 years. And we've been dating for 25 years. And uh, if you, yeah, yeah, there you go. If you, if you look at her and then look at me, it shows you that God can still do miracles. Why are y'all laughing? Uh, some of you, man, you're, you're single, you're scoping and hoping. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, this, there's hope for you. It, you look at my wife and look at me, there's hope for you if you're single and you're scoping and hoping. Uh, God could bless you. But this is my wife. We've been married now for 17 years. Uh, from the oldest to the youngest, the first is uh, Liam Josiah. He's a little football player, basketball player. He's an amazing little man of God. Then second one there is Nixon Michael. He's our creative in the family. Uh, he loves to sing. He loves to dance and all that stuff. He kind of, he reminds me of me. And sometimes he's, he can get a little wild at home. And my mom lives with us. And uh, every once in a while when I'm like, I can't believe this kid. My mom will look at me and she'll just smile. She'll go, you're reaping all that you sowed, you know. <laughs> So he's, he's at, and then this little one right here, Novi Sophia, she'll be three years old on the 23rd. And uh, man, people told me, they said, when you have a little girl, it's going to wreck you. It's going to change your life. I'm like, oh no, it's, it's, I, I, there's no way I can love anyone any more than I love my boys. And I'm telling you what, we had this little girl and I, I definitely love her more than I love our boys. I mean, don't tell them I said that. They're going to need counseling. But uh, anything she wants, she knows she can have it. I mean, I just buy her whatever she wants. You know, I'll go bankrupt for her. Uh, but that is my family. And so I bring greetings on behalf of them. And then I want to introduce you to someone really quick. That you'll probably see him uh, from time to time as, as I'll be back here and hanging out with you guys. But Nathan Bowley right over here. Nathan, why don't you stand up really quick? Could you clap your hands for Nathan? 
Nathan's one of my dearest friends and co-founder of Sidecar Leader, this consulting firm that that we run that serves churches and uh, serves uh, lead pastors and executive leadership teams. And I'm so thankful to have him here uh, with us. If you have your Bibles, go with me over to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. They're going to put it on the screen. Uh, but the book of Proverbs is, 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 is wisdom literature is what they would call this. If you're in seminary, they tell you this is, this is, this is wisdom literature here. And uh, there's, there's different contributors um, within it. But, but, but I love the words of the sage in Proverbs chapter 3. This, this, these two verses have so much wisdom for life. And they're simple. Some of you, maybe you grew up in church, you've read this before. Some of you, maybe you have like the little plaque at your house that has this, or maybe you have a coffee mug that has it. Uh, but it's more than just some, some spiritual platitude. This is true wisdom for life. And uh, this is what the sage says. We'll read two different translations of this. The first one says this. It says, trust. Somebody say trust. trust. Come on, save it. Say it like you, like you love Jesus. Say trust. Trust, trust in the Lord. With a portion of your heart. No, it doesn't say that. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the promise. And he shall direct your paths. I love the way the New Living Translation um, says it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on on your own understanding. Seek his will. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Today, it's my assignment to speak to you on the topic of God's will, and we're going to read some supplemental scriptures on this journey today, and we'll come back to uh, the words of the sage in Proverbs chapter 3. But before we, we jump into it, can we just pray for one moment and just ask the Lord to open our hearts Holy Spirit, we come to you right now, and we just ask you to give us a spirit of insight and revelation and understanding as we open up your word today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would, we would listen to you. We would listen not just for, uh, for more information, but we would listen so that we could, we could grow, we could learn, we could be doers of the word, as the book of James says. We don't want to just hear your word. We want to do your word. So today, as we open up our hearts and we open up our minds to you, we say, speak. Speak, Holy Spirit. We're listening to you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, could you clap your hands for the word of God? <clears throat> What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? That's the title if you're taking notes. What's God's will for my life? You know, we, we have these churches, these 1,040 churches um, and I get to travel and be a part of a lot of them. And a lot of the pastors, and I don't know if you guys do this, but a lot of those churches, they will do what's called an annual spiritual survey. And they do it every year around Easter because, you know, uh, everybody goes to church on Easter and on Christmas, right? So it's the time, you, if you're going to collect some, some information, you want to collect it then. Um, and so this annual spiritual survey asks a series of questions. Um, and one of the questions is this, is if we were to teach from God's word about any subject, about any topic that you would want to hear from God's word, what would that subject be? What would the topic of interest be? And we give a series of boxes, maybe 20 to 25 boxes that you can check off, and we'll take that and it'll inform some, some series that we will do at these different churches and we'll teach from God's word, we'll hear from God, but through God's word, we will teach um, according to the topics that people select. 
Do you know that out of 25 plus topics and even a space where you can fill out your own desired topic of interest, the number one, at all the churches I've been to, the number one box that gets checked the most by a landslide is what's God, how do I know what God's will is for my life? What's God's plan for my life? See, people want to know that. I, I would suppose it's probably this, that you and I realize this, that our life is the sum total of the decisions that we've made up until this point, both good decisions and bad decisions. I, I don't know if you would agree with that statement, but, but I found that to be true in my own life, that my life is the sum total today as a 40-year-old man. My life is the sum total of the decisions that I have made up until this point, both good decisions and bad decisions. Now, there, there are many people that will try to make excuses and blame someone else for why they are where they are in their life, financially, relationally, emotionally. Many people will try to cast the blame on other people and maybe the environment, their family of origin, for why they are who they are and where they are in their life. And make no mistake about it, there are some people that grow up in a family of origin or with certain systems and structures around them that will, what will make it harder for them to excel But I've met some people in my life that had every odd stacked against them, and yet they made intentional decisions with their life to become the person that they they eventually became and to accomplish the things that they've accomplished. Because why? Because our life, it is the sum total of the decisions that we've made up until this point, good or bad. I've also discovered this. I don't know if you know this to be true. There are many people, many people that have regret in their life because of previous bad decisions that they've made. I've been doing ministry now for 22 years. I've counseled a lot of people. And I've had so many people that have sat across the table from with tears in their eyes. They, they just regret a, a decision that they made sexually or relationally or financially or some business deal that went sideways. And they sit there with so much regret. And they, they wish that they could go back and re, have a redo moment. You ever felt like that before? Like when you look at the pages of your life, you're like, man, there are some pages I wish I could rip out. Some of you are like, I got chapters, my friend. I got chapters I wish I could rip out. I know that I have that. I look back over my life, and there's some decisions that I made that now if I, if I knew then what I know now with the collective wisdom that I now have through experience and through other mentors, I wish I could go back and kind of rewrite and redo that story. See, the amazing thing about God is that God is so good And so redemptive, he can even take regret to bring people to him so that they will finally get to the place where they throw up their hands and say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want your way. I know that's my story. I, I I was 18 years old whenever I came to Jesus. You know why? You know why I came to Jesus? It was, I don't want to keep screwing my life up. That's literally, I, I got tired of making so many mistakes and just looking at the, the pieces of my life were so broken. I'm like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. God is so good and so gracious that even regret over bad decisions that we've made, he can redeem that, and you can learn from it. He can bring you closer to him. Wouldn't it be good to know what God wants you to do in every area of your life so that you don't have to make bad decisions, so that you don't have to go through life just trying to figure things out on your own? Listen to me, listen to me, listen. God wants you to know what he wants you to do more than you even probably want to know it. That's how good God is. God wants to guide you and direct you. Psalms 23 says that he leads us. Besides still waters, when you have to make decisions, when you have to make big choices in life, all the different areas of your life, God will lead you and guide you, and you have a sense of peace as he instructs you and guides you. God wants that for your life. Wouldn't that be good to have that? How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know it's even God's voice, like speaking to you about making a certain decision or maybe making a certain choice? How do you know if it's him or if it's just something you ate the night before, right? 
And then it can get even more confusing when you start talking to other Christians and they're, they're like split on a decision you've got to make. And you've got this person saying, I think you should do this. This person says you should do this. It can be confusing at times. But wouldn't it be good to know what God wants you to do with every area of your life? Now, here's the thing. God wants you to know his will for your life. He's a good father. And he wants to guide you. And he wants to direct you. Some of you, even right now, sitting in this moment, there's a big decision that you're facing. And you need to know what is God's will in this area. Some of you, 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 you were faced with a decision months ago or maybe years ago, and you just had so much uncertainty. And you're just like, I wish I would have had clarity in that moment. You see, for all of us, there's going to be more and more decisions that we're going to have to make over the next few days, the next few months, the next years of our life. Our life is made up of decisions from the moment you wake up when it's like, do I snooze or do I get out of bed? It's decisions. Somebody said snooze on the front row. <laughs> snooze. But our life is made up of decisions, and God wants to guide us and direct us in the area of his will. Now, here's the thing. I grew up in church. My parents were in ministry. My mom always had this Bible. It was called a Dakes Anointed Bible. It's like, aren't, aren't all the Bibles anointed? I don't know, but the Dakes one is definitely anointed. Okay, the tough crowd. Dakes Anointed Bible. You guys can laugh and participate, okay? Um, Dakes, the, the more you laugh and say amen, the quicker I'll preach and we'll, I'll go to lunch, okay? Um, <clears throat> Dakes Anointed Bible, and she'd always had this big, giant book called a Strong's Concordance. Have you ever seen one of those? Strong's Concordance. And if you were to take a concordance and um, you were to look up this phrase, the will of God, throughout the Bible, you would find that the will of God can be categorized in, in one of these three different categories. And I want to break it down for just a moment. Uh, the providential will of God, some of you, maybe you grew up here and someone say the sovereign will of God, sovereign and providence, we'll just call it providence, the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. Now, all of us, we want to know the personal will of God. Like, that's the daily decisions that you have to make. But in order to really grasp this over here, I think you got to have a good understanding of the first two. The providential will of God, here's what it is if you're taking notes, is this, this refers to the things that God's going to do regardless. Like, these are the things that God is just going to do. Let me give you some examples. Galatians chapter 4 says, but when the set time, God had already said it, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, listen to me, God was going to send his son Jesus to make a way for us to enter into the family of God no matter what. It was part of his providential will. It was his plan. No one prayed Jesus into existence. It was not hinged on anyone's obedience. God had already predetermined. He had already, God the Father, decided, I will redeem humanity and bring them, reconcile them into my family. And he always had the plan that it would be through his son Jesus. Jesus was not the knee-jerk reaction of the Father to come and save humanity. It was always part of God's heart and his plan. It was his providential will. It was his providential will. Romans 2 says this, and this is the message I proclaim, Paul says, that the day is coming. Like, it's coming. It's already in, like, God's calendar, right? The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. This is a great scripture I, I try to get my kids to memorize. <laughs> God's going to judge your secret life, son, okay? <clears throat> But he said, in other words, he's saying, no matter what, the day has already been determined. Now, we don't know that day, but the day has already been determined by the providential will of God that he will send his son Jesus to judge the world. A day's coming. It's not hinged on our prayers. Like we can, We're not going to pray to hold back Jesus, and we're not going to pray to get him. The day has already been set. It doesn't hinge on our prayers or our obedience. 
It's his providential will. I'll give you some more examples. It was the providential will of God to raise up the nation of Israel as his chosen people. It is the providential will of God that the church be built in the gates of hell, not prevail. It's his providential will. No one can stop the church, not even COVID. Amen. No one can. There are things that God is just going to do, and they are not dependent upon our prayers or our obedience. Our obedience. Well, why is it important for us to know the providential will? Because the more familiar we are with the providential will of God, like what God is up to in the earth, the better we can position ourselves to partner with God in what he is doing in the earth today. See, because God uses everyday ordinary people like you and I to accomplish his providential will in the earth. God said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send my son. It's my providence. And he says, Mary, I'm going to use you to do it. And she's able to say, I'm surrendered. Let your, let your will be done. God says, I'm going to raise up a nation called Israel. I'm going to raise up this nation. And God says, Abram, I'm going to use you to do it. And he's able to be positioned in that moment. Well, how do we know what God's providential will is? Here's the easiest way I can tell you to do it. Read your Bible. That's it. It's this rocket science, right? Read the Bible. Because the Bible catalogs what God has done before, why he's done it. What he is doing today, why he is doing it, and what he is going to do, and how he's going to do it, and why he's going to do it. And the more familiar we are with the providential will, I'm telling you, it's easier to, for us to be able to position ourselves with, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Now, here's the second one. Now, we don't really like the second one, right? The moral will of God. This is the one that people in our culture, like we just culturally, it just seems so antiquated. When you look at the scriptures and they tell you to do and don't do certain things, and it seems so outdated, right? That's what our culture tells us. See, the moral will of God refers to the do's and don'ts that God has already commanded in scripture. In other words, you don't have to pray. Lord, is it your will for me to lie in order to close this business deal? Like the moral will of God has already been established in scripture what God's will is in the area of telling the truth. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to cheat in order to pass this test? Like college students, you don't even have to pray about that one. You don't have to pray about that one. You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to sleep with my boyfriend? Because you know, Lord, I'd never buy a new pair of stilettos without trying them on first. Like you don't even have to pray about that one. We already know what God's will is. Let me read you a few scriptures God's, about God's moral will. First Thessalonians chapter four says this, God's will is for you to be happy. No, doesn't say that. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. It's interesting. We live in a culture and a generation that we're all about our pursuit of happiness. And God says, I want you to be in a pursuit of holiness. Why? Because true happiness is actually found in holiness in being consecrated and set apart for God. In other words, what he says here is God's moral will for his people that are followers, that are following him, that are part of his family, is that we live morally pure lives and we, we run away from sexual immorality. While we live in a culture that runs towards sexual confusion and sexual identity politics and all these things, you know what we do as a church that upholds the scriptures as the authority of God? We say this, we're to, we're to run away from that and we're to live our lives consecrated towards our Father. See, God does not tell you his moral will to take the fun out of life. He tells you his moral will to take the sting out of life. God is not holding thing, anything back from you. It's not like he's holding something behind his back saying, no, 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 you don't get to have this. He's holding back pain and regret and shame. It's like, don't, I don't want you to experience that. But that's what happens whenever we, whenever we pursue things outside of his moral will. First Peter chapter 2, look at this. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Can I get a good amen from all the parents? 
For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. Why? Because it is God's will. It is God's will. See, during tax season, during tax season, you don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to you know, kind of fudge the numbers here a little bit so that, God, if I got more back, I could give more and be a blessing to Soma Church. We don't even have to pray. We're, we're to submit to the authority. I'm on my way to church. And I know the speed limit is 65, but Lord, I got to get there and serve today. I'm going to go 80. God, you see my heart. <laughs> I've actually done that before. <clears throat> my son called me out on it. Dad, aren't you a pastor? Shut up, kid. Okay. <laughs> The, the providential will of God, the things that God's already outlined in Scripture, what is he doing? What is he up to? The moral will of God, it's also, it's outlined in Scripture. If you want to know what God's moral will is your life for your life, just read your Bible. Read your Bible. It tells you, it tells you exactly what he wants you to do and not do. It's his moral will, which, by the way, listen, following a list of moral codes and moral imperatives will never save you. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of Jesus. But we also can't just pull the grace card and live any way that we want. You see, if we begin to just live a moral code as our functioning salvation, and we're no longer relying on the grace of God, then we'll really just become a religious person. But if we also just say grace, grace, grace can cover my mess, listen, we, we are taking the grace of God in vain is what the scripture says. See, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And we could never earn acceptance from God, but there are moral imperatives for us outlined in Scripture. But the truth is, the thing that you and I care about the most is probably, let's just be real, it's probably not the providential will of God. Like, we're not sitting around going, I want to know what the providential will of God is. We're just not doing that. For most of us, we're not sitting down reading the Scripture saying, I just need an outline of all the moral boxes to check off. Most of us, where you live tomorrow, where you live Thursday, is in the personal realm of the personal will of God. Like, I've got to make a decision in this area, and God, I just want to know what you want me to do. Should I buy this car? Should I take that job? Should I move to that city? Should I date this guy? Probably not. Should I marry that girl? Should we have kids? Should we adopt? Should we foster? Should I start this business or keep doing what I'm doing? Should I go into full-time ministry? Should we make this church our home church? God, what is your will for my life? It's those, those, those areas where when you lay your head on your pillow and you can't sleep because you're wrestling with, what do I do? That's the personal will for your life. It's those decisions that you have to make. Let me show you that a biblical theology around God's personal will is found in Scripture. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul, I, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, in other words, Paul felt like, God's calling, personal calling. It wasn't everyone's calling, but God's personal call on his life. His, God's personal will for his life was to be an apostle and to bring the gospel specifically. When you read the rest of the, the, the book here, it's specifically to the Gentiles. So he believed that God had a personal, not a general, but a personal will and desire for his life. How many are thankful that God has a personal will for your life, that he cares about the details of your life. He's got a call on your life. Listen, God doesn't anoint us for, for opportunities. He anoints us for assignments, assignments that he's given us. And God has given every one of us an assignment in the earth today. And he has a will for your life. First Peter chapter four, here's another one for you. So then those who listen to this, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. 
and continue to do good. This is a tough scripture for many of us, especially in, in the West, is that we have, we have worked up some belief that the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. You ever heard that one? That's not true. It's not biblical. These people are in the middle of God's will, and yet they're walking through suffering. Specifically, they're being persecuted for the name of Jesus. This is a hard one. I don't fully understand it. But for some people, it is God's will for them to walk through suffering, but to continue as a testimony to the grace of God, how God's grace sustains us and carries us. I don't fully understand it, but I know that it is biblical. God has a personal will for our lives. Now, here's why I'm telling you all this. You you can't miss this, or you're going to miss the whole thing. The more familiar we are with the providential will of God, the more surrendered we are to the moral will of God or the more obedient we are to the moral will of God, the easier it is to discover the personal will of God for our lives. I want to, I want to show you this uh, through an illustration. I want you to come up here, Nathan. I want you to clap your hands for Nathan. Nathan Boley. Ladies, he is single. I'm just saying. Okay, uh, sorry. Look at those cowboy boots. Nashville, Tennessee. Here we go. Okay, so I'm building a house right now. Uh, any contractors in the house? Any, any, we have any contractors in the house? No one's a contractor in here. Okay, good. I'm the subject matter expert then at this moment. So if I say something wrong, no one will know. Okay, uh, I'm building a house right now, and I show up on, on site the other day, and um, I see this thing like kind of hanging out over on the side of the house, and the brick masons, like the bricklayers, they're, they're laying bricks. I mean, they're just hustling, boom, 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 boom. But I noticed they, they kept looking down at this, this instrument, this thing, and they would lay some bricks, and they are looking at it, and every once in a while I'd notice they would look at it and kind of say a few choice words and they would remove some bricks because they obviously made a decision, a wrong decision where to, to lay this book, brick and uh, they would look back at that line and then they would get it all fixed. Then I also noticed they had something very similar to this inside of the house where the carpenters were, were erecting all the walls inside the house. So I asked this brick mason, I said, hey man, I'm just curious. Uh, like, I don't want to get in your way or anything, but what is this thing? And he said, oh, that, that's, that's a plumb bomb. I was like, that's a cool name. I'm going to name my next kid Plum Bob. I like that. Plum Bob. You should name your kid Plum Bob. Um, I said, what's a Plum Bob? He said, well, this is called the Plum Bob. And if you felt it, it's pretty heavy. It's got some weight to it. He said, this, this, is, this is called the Plum Line. And he said, the Plum Bob, the weight of it, takes the Plum Line and creates this perfect vertical, like, is that, would that be 90? Yeah, perfect 90 degree. I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing here, but perfect vertical line. And he said this, he goes, when we make decisions in what we're building, we don't trust our own intuition. We need an objective point of reference to be the standard by which we make decisions. I'm sitting there thinking this brick mason should be a preacher. That's just good theology right there. I asked the carpenter, same thing. He said, man, he goes, if we don't have an objective standard and point of reference, the walls of your house will be all messed up. They will not have, listen to this, structural integrity. Many people in life are just making decisions. Many of us have made decisions based off what we thought felt right. How many know the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end there's destruction? It's what felt right. Culture, we're, we're taking cultural cues, what feels right what feels comfortable, and we make decisions in our life, and our life has no structural integrity, and we wonder why our life is falling apart at the seams. But the book of Amos in the Old Testament calls the word of God the plumb line for Israel. It's the plumb line for us as the people of God. In other words, 
Here's, here's the best way to say it. The plumb line would be like the providential and the moral will of God for our life. And when you and I have to make personal decisions, if the personal decision that you have to make is out of alignment with what God's already revealed in his word, you know it can't be God's, God's will for my life. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for Nathan Bowley. Thank you so much. Now, if that seems too abstract for you, let me bring it to you like this. I lived in San Francisco for about four years. And um, it's very expensive there, if you didn't know that. It's very expensive to live there. Like a, a three-bedroom house is like $6,000 a month, like twelve to 1,300 square feet. It's ridiculous. So we just rented. We rented. A, we, could never, we, we never would be able to afford to purchase a house there. But imagine if this opportunity came to me. Now, this is just a scenario. Uh, if an opportunity came for me to purchase a house in San Francisco and I had to make a decision and it went like this, for me to buy the house, I would have to drain all of my savings and go on a strict budget and stop being generous to others and push pause on giving through and to the local church to advance God's kingdom, pause on honoring God with my first fruits, which the Bible calls a tithe, even though it would just be a three-year pause and I could unpause my generosity freeze and I could triple my equity in this house if I bought it. The decision is easy. I don't even have to pray about it. It's a resounding no. Why? Because I know the providential will of God. God is building his church and redeeming and rescuing people from being lost in life. I also know his moral will. His moral will is for me to be obedient to honoring him through the tithe and to live generously and not to be self-centered and live a self-centered life. And so his personal will becomes clear because it goes against the plumb line. If buying the house causes me to break the plumb line, then the answer is no. Does that make sense? The more familiar we are with the providential will the more surrendered we are to the moral will, the easier it is to discover God's personal will for our life. See, the real challenge for you and I is not hearing God's voice, I would would suppose. The real challenge for us is actually just following through and being obedient and surrendered to the things we already know he's asking us to do. That's the real challenge. The real challenge is when we begin to read the Bible and we start seeing some of these things that he calls us to do and not to do, it's like, gosh, this is really hard. This is really challenging to love my enemies. This is really challenging to forgive those that have hurt me. This is really challenging to take 10% of my hard-earned money and to give that away. This is really challenging for me to serve the poor. This is re- we look at these things. This is really challenging for me to abstain from sexual immorality. We look at these things in Scripture, and to be honest, it can just be challenging. It can feel so overwhelming at times. And the other real challenge is this, is that most people don't really want to hear God's voice and get direction for God from God so, so that they apply it. They just want God's, God as another option for consideration. When we make decisions, we're like, God, hey, what, what are your thoughts? What, what do you think I should do? But it's just add that to all the other options for consideration. But God does not give us direction for consideration, but for participation. Like, God's not like, hey, I'm going to give you my opinion as an option. God speaks with an expectation that we will do whatever it is that he has called us to do. And that's why the sage in Proverbs says it like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, it's really a trust issue. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Like, God, I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to just... Just, just trust that I'm, I'm smart enough and educated enough to make the best decision. God, I'm coming to you and I'm trusting you with all of my heart. 
And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, he says. And lean not on your own understanding. Your ability to sort things out. It's just sometimes it's not enough. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And look at this. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That word there, the English is very weak, acknowledge. When you look at the etymology of this word, it's a better picture of a subject coming before their king and falling face down in front of their king saying, whatever you want for my life, my answer is yes. I am submitted to you. Whatever you say, my answer is yes. I'm surrendered. In every area of my life, it's complete submission. It's complete surrender. It's complete devotion to the king. And he says, in all your ways, be fully surrendered to him. And that sets you up for the promise. And he shall direct your paths. He shall direct your paths. See, here's what I've discovered. Is God is fully responsible for the person who is fully surrendered to him. See, the scriptures are teaching us from the sage is that all the known areas over here through the moral will of God are the things that God's already spoken to your life, that he's already revealed to you. Just be surrendered. And what he's spoken to you relationally, be surrendered. Or that, that area of your life that has just been, man, is causing so much grief and pain, be surrendered. That area where you haven't forgiven, be surrendered. The things that you already know, be surrendered and obedient over here. And this thing over here, that, that decision you, you need to make, that, that decision about the business or about moving that seems so unclear and uncertain, the more surrendered we are over here. He's like, hey, I'm going to guide you over here, but I need you to be obedient and surrendered in all the known areas. See, here's what I'm discovering, and this is the big idea, is that surrender to the known will of God, it paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Surrender to the known will of God, the things you already know, it paves the way, positions you to discover the unknown will of God. Thomas Merton said this, we receive enlightenment only in proportion as we give ourselves more and more completely to God By humble submission and love. We do not first see and then act. We act and then see. And that is why the man who waits to see clearly before he will believe never starts on the journey. In other words, obedience precedes revelation. We we want God to reveal these things and help us over here. And he's like, I just need you to be obedient and surrendered in these other areas over here. And this is going to be so much easier to understand and to discern. You see, and listen to me, I'm not telling you that if you'll be obedient and surrendered, then God's going to start speaking. I would submit to you that God is already speaking loud and clear about that personal error you need to make in your life, but you can't hear him because maybe your heart has become callous to his voice because you've been unsurrendered in the areas over here that he's already revealed to you. Best way I can communicate to you this principle would be this, and the band can come up. Um, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18 19 years old. But to give you the, the background, I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor, traveling evangelist, missionary. I was a PK, preacher's kid. They say PKs are the worst. And at about 15 years old, my dad's life began to fall apart. He had issues in his life he never dealt with, and the pressure of ministry, the pace of ministry, all those things that caused that stuff to come up to the surface. He first became verbally and emotionally abusive to our family and then physically abusive. Then he had multiple affairs. My mom was just trying to hold our family together. And I became this really bitter young man, 
came home from football practice one day and my, my dad was just violently abusing my mom. Police came and I'll never forget that sight. It was the most broken I'd ever seen my mom. My dad left our family and left the ministry and my mom lived in a battered women's shelter for a bit and my brother and I lived with our high school football coach. And I became so bitter and so mad at my dad and mad at God and mad at church. I remember actually telling God, like, what kind of God are you that you would allow one of your representatives to, to be that hateful? What kind of God are you that you would allow a pastor to do that? And I just turned my back on God. Turned my back on church and just walked away and I thought, I want nothing to do with, with this. If this is what this is, I want nothing to do with this. For the next few years, I just ran from God in and out of jail, facing 17 years in prison. They don't let me put my credentials on the wall at uh, any churches I've ever worked at. It's a felony, <laughs> misdemeanor. And uh, it was just, they were violent crimes. I was just, I had to get in fights all the time because I was so mad. I just fought people, abusing substances and inappropriate relationships, all those things. And all of it was to medicate the pain on the inside of me. I tried to anesthetize my own brokenness and finally gave my life to Jesus. And, you know, I started reading my Bible when I gave my life to Jesus. And I began to notice this pattern in scripture where morally God calls his people to extend forgiveness the same way they've received it. And I hadn't talked to my dad in years. Estranged from him. See, when someone hurts you and wounds you, you have this sense that they've, when they've offended you, they've, a debt has been accrued. And that's why it's called payback, by the way, right? You're making them pay for it. And I'm not gonna, they're gonna have to pay for what they've done to me. And that's why forgiveness is simply canceling a debt. It's a financial term, but it, relationally, it's what we cancel the debt. They don't owe us anymore. By the way, that is exactly what God, your father, has done for you in Christ Jesus. And I begin to read these scriptures about forgiving people and praying for your enemies and those that have hurt you. You got to extend grace and love. And I'm like, man, but God, do you know what my dad did to me? Do you know what he did to my mom? Do you, like, God, are you calling me to that? And, and I would read these scriptures and morally it caused us to forgive. And I just struggled to do it. I then even got into ministry. And I started traveling and preaching and talking about forgive, the forgiveness of God and the grace of God. I was actually flying back from India after preaching to 70,000 people about the forgiveness that is available to them by way of Jesus. And, and I read Ephesians 4 on that plane, and it says, forgive just as your heavenly Father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I read that, and I, I felt like God said, Jason, I, I, haven't, I haven't stopped with what I want. I'm calling you to forgive your dad. I'm calling you to extend the grace you hope you someday never need. I'm calling you to release him, to cancel the debt. I remember God saying to me loud and clear, how are you going to be in the profession of grace and not actually practice it? And I felt like the Lord said, it's going to become so hard for you to hear from me, son, if you aren't surrendered in this area. And for the next probably two years, I still fought God. My heart became even more calloused. And guess what? It got hard to hear from God. How many know it's a a big challenge if your job is to hear from God and to preach and you can't hear from God, right? It's a big challenge. So I struggled. And finally, I I said, fine, you win, God. I'm going to be obedient. 
I set up a meeting with my dad after I'm 24 years old at this point. I have not talked to my dad, I guess, in nine years, 10 years. And God told me exactly what to say to him. He said, when you look at your dad, I want you to ask him to forgive you for all that you've done to him. And then I want you to look him in his eyes. And I want you to say, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. I met with my dad for three hours. And when I looked at him and said, dad, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. These huge tears streamed down his face. But you know what happened? That moment was, I don't even think it was for my dad. It was for me. Because when I released grace, grace released me. And it was like I could hear God again loud and clear. Why? Because surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. What's the area maybe in your life where you haven't been surrendered? Could it be that that surrender can can make your heart sensitive to God's voice again. Surrender over here to set you up to hear him loud and clear over in this other area. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you for how you've spoken. I believe you've spoken to many people's hearts. I believe you're speaking even now. Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit, say, what are you saying to me with this message? Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life I have been unsurrendered? Is there an area where I have not been obedient? Maybe just between you and the Lord right now, you need to just tell him, say, I hear you loud and clear. I'm I'm gonna surrender in that area. I'm not gonna fight you anymore. Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's a certain thing that you've been participating in. Maybe it's It could be something you're doing. It could be something you're not doing. Just say, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. I'm gonna be obedient now. I'm waving the white flag. I surrender, Lord. Whatever area that is, I just encourage you. Surrender to the Lord in that area. Some of you in here today, you say, Jason, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to. I wanna begin that relationship today. If that's you, listen, the Bible says if we... Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, they'll be saved. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. It doesn't matter what you've ever done. It doesn't matter what you've ever thought. Even the worst thing, he'll forgive you today. He'll give you a fresh start and a new beginning. If that's you, will you just say this in your heart? Just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I choose to follow you today. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start and a new beginning. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, could we clap our hands for those that prayed? Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand up on your feet? And we're going to sing this last song together. And I want to encourage you, let's just worship the Lord from that place of surrender today. Love you so much, church. I look forward to seeing you again.